Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Let's be perfectly clear. The Pacers are good. This is a good team. This is an enjoyable team. This is a this is a team you can get behind. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. Uh, they had the two wins, then the two losses. Then the win against the Cavaliers, a loss against the Hornets. The Spurs a win. The Jazz a win. The Bucks a, a win. That loss against the 76ers, a win against the 76ers. This is a team better than not better. And this is a team that I think is surprising. JMV joins us right now. He is the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5107.5 of the fan. In a word, how do you describe this Pacers team? Uh, up and coming and growing and maturing really right before our eyes. That's uh, not one word. Yeah, I know. I had to go three. One word, maturing. Uh, the maturation of this team, as we've seen so far this year, has been impressive. I mean, it really has. And I'll make a point back to that Philly game that you just brought up that went on the road in Philadelphia. So many things went against them, Tony, in that game. Whether you're talking about the same old Joel Embiid doing what he normally does against them, normally what he does against Miles Turner for three quarters. Uh, the officiating was not quite up to where you would want it if you were a Pacer fan watching that game. And just really how Philadelphia had been treating over the past handful of games, the Pacers, but in the fourth quarter, stepped it up big. Miles got back into it, ended with 17. They got that win on the road. And a year ago, that wouldn't have happened. Two years ago, that would have been a pipe dream. And now you just kind of watch these guys mature right before your eyes as a team. And, you know, I think one of the big staples they have, Tony, right now going for them certainly is Tyrese Halliburton because he is evolving right before our eyes into a, uh, you know, a major talent in the NBA. But they have as much depth as anybody right now in the NBA. They have guys that can give you a different year or there. Every night, you know, obviously the starting five, you count all that, but maybe it's an Aaron D. Smith off the bench. Maybe it's Buddy Heald with a three-point shooting off the bench. Maybe it's T.J. McConnell with an infusion of energy coming off the bench. But the depth has been outside of Tyrese Halliburton, the major staple we have seen, again, for a maturing Pacer team early in this season. I think that point you're making about the bench matters because uh buddy Hild, i always get his his name wrong uh nesmith uh, uh, uh or is it neesmith again i always get it wrong i'm, I'm working on it. i swear i am a tj mcconnell there's this yeah. feeling that even when the bench guys are on you're 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 not nec- they're maybe not where the starters are but you're not necessarily missing out no you're not well you're going to just go through games where you need tj mcconnell and that is his consistent high level energy and we have seen that three, four, five times already, whereas some Pacer fans felt he was expendable this past offseason. Now you don't really need him. He's going to take away you know, minutes from the younger guys that need it. The heck with the younger guys that need it. They can get some minutes, but you need him and you have needed him in some games so far this year to help you get over and to get wins. So get back to Daniel Tice for a moment. They bought him out a couple of days ago. He goes to the Clippers. And I know that was more of him wanting more playing time. And I think we respect that. But there's a little bit of concern. And I know he's a fourth big man or was on this Pacer team. 
Um, and you don't normally need it. In Philadelphia the other night, you did need it. We've seen it already once another time this season. I just always say if you can pack the bench with useful pieces, then do it. And really, we'll see what they do to fill the void, fill a gap of Tice. But you can see that with this group as you bring up Buddy Heal, three-point shooting prowess. You know, Neesmith, a two-way player, sometimes gives you points. Other times, he may end up, you know, giving you a great deal of defense. You know, Isaiah Jackson the other night stepped in, played really well. Jalen Smith has upped his game this season as well. So it is that bench and then Tyrese Halliburton, that whole evolution of him to be a top player in the NBA, which has been the most impressive aspects for this team so far in this young NBA season. Talking to JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5107.5, the fan based out of Indianapolis. Looking down the road at, at this uh, Pacers team, you talk about maturing the maturation process. Where is that, in your view, looking at their schedule down the road, really put into question? Um, I, I just think if you're able to to win, like, it's such a long season. Um, I I suggested yesterday to Bobby Marks of ESPN, who covers the NBA, a former general manager, that I believe the Pacers will win 45, Tony. And that's up 10 from what they did a year ago in 35. And in fact, 20 from two years ago in 25. And those are major steps. But he agreed with me on this. If you can just stay away, Tony, looking into the future on the schedule, from three and four game losing streaks. If you can stay away from those, you know, get a win, even when maybe you're down a player, because injuries are going to be a concern at some point. They just always are. And then managing minutes with some of these guys are going to be a concern. But, you know, that's why you have the depth on this bench. But if you can stay away from longer than certainly what you would want losing streaks, then you have a chance to hit that 45. When you hit that 45, and if you're able to go above that, you know, a top five seed of the Eastern Conference all becomes a bit of a reality. Now, granted, it's way early in the season, and they're going to have to make a lot of significant strides to be in that particular category. But I think we've seen so far, Tony, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they can. And everybody wanted a, a, a retool, uh, a reboot, uh, a reload of this team, and normally – you suggest that in terms of, well, you're losing, is it an entertaining loss? You're still working for the future. But now with this, now you can grow, you can mature, and you can get better while you also win. And that to me makes it a lot better. And in fact, that's what the Pacers are doing right now. Let's move it over to the NFL. I want to get into the Colts and how they're handling this, this off week. But last night, the Ravens and the Bengals, the Ravens win the game. The the injuries in that game were out of control. Uh, Mark Andrews uh, for uh, the the Baltimore Ravens that that hip. It, I, I had flashbacks to Bo Jackson. Um, but talk to me about Joe Burrow. What is going on with that hand? And are the are the Bengals going to start looking for somebody else to throw the ball for a couple weeks? Well, yeah, they will, and that's Jake Browning, who was in there last night too, Tony, and it does look bad with the wrist situation. And I thought last night was a must-win within their own division for the Bengals anyway. They didn't I get agree. that job done. And then you're looking forward to you know having days certainly without Joe Burrow, which would absolutely bury them. But here's one from a cold standpoint you look at. 
you know, he was one of those quarterbacks, really one quarterback on the remaining schedule outside of C.J. Stroud now, the way he's playing. But he was one quarterback that you thought, all right, well, this is going to be a tough one against the Bengals. And now you look further down the road for the Colts, who come out of this bye week at 5-5. Five and five. They have them on the schedule in December. You know, that's not as difficult of a game without Burrow, if that's the case, with the Bengals moving forward. So that's something for Colts fans, I think, to watch. He didn't look like he was a guy that was going to be coming back anytime soon. We'll see if he's back by the time the Colts and the Bengals hook up. But that is something I think worthy of Colts fans who watch their team go five and five until the bye week right now to look at because that was one of those games we felt probably would not go the Colts way. And as right now that possibility of getting a win I think has grown even larger with that Burrow injury last night. That game will take place on the 10th, a couple games to get there. you got to play the Buccaneers at home. You're going to go travel to Nashville. And then you've got the Bengals in Cincinnati. It's the off week. It's the bye week for the Colts. If you're Shane Steichen, what are you working on? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm working on talking to my quarterback to, to settle down a little bit with a happy seat. Uh, but I will say this. He hadn't turned the ball over. So that's a good thing. But you have to get something, Tony, out of this passing game. And that's where it does. It comes on the quarterback shoulders. It comes on those skill position players to be able to get open. But I think what you have to do, get some rest, obviously, for your quarterback. You know, maybe dial up some plays to where he feels more comfortable. Because a lot of the happy feet, a lot of the scrambling when it wasn't necessary, Tony, we've seen recently, has even been inside a relatively clean Colts offensive line pocket. So this is just kind of reactionary. It looks like he's kind of got the yips a little bit out there where he's expecting it every single time, even when it's not there. So I, I think you got to draw up something to make the passing game better. And that's obviously going to start with a quarterback right here. You've got to get certainly on the defensive side of the football, just get more consistent quarterback pressure. That's what you're hoping for. And then, yeah, this is just for us, I guess. But you cross your fingers and hope that maybe you don't have, you know, another level of, of injuries that they've had to deal with so far. But honestly, five and five, well, I think a lot of us felt that the Vegas odds to start the season, six and a half wins, nobody was going to take that over. I think right now the odds are they're going to hit that over, and then maybe you give yourself a chance in December. That's all I was looking for It's just a chance you know, to maintain a level of interest, give yourself a chance moving into December, unlike the clown show of a year ago, and at least going into this Tampa Bay game, being out of the bye week, they've given themselves that opportunity. And then you'll see what happens around you, like with the Bengals. We'll see what happens around them, you know, when they see the Titans coming up one more time a little bit later on. See what happens around them. They got one more date coming up with Houston. They got one with the Raiders. I mean, you've got some very winnable games here, but you've got to get that passing game going certainly better than we have seen because you cannot live on the fact that you play really bad offensive teams still moving forward and live on your defense to make plays and just squeak by. You've got to get something out of that passing offense. But you bring up a, a solid point, which is, you know, I'm talking about what is Shane Steichen looking at, how, how does he plan things. This team is 5-5. Five and five. They've had a chance now, a few days, to, to take a breath. They haven't had to worry about practice. They're, they're in the ice bath. They're, they're waking up on their own schedule. Does this team feel pretty good about, wait a second, we can still make a run here. We've got something. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, you see what's happened? I mean, it gives you also amount of time. 
to see, to really take a look at what's going on around you. And, you know, other than the good and CJ Stroud in Houston, you know, being, I think, better than what everybody thought. You know, you look at that Cincinnati situation. You know, you you look at what's going on with the Buffalo Bills right now, firing their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, and then, you know, trying to get back on track. They've been hugely disappointing. You look at those teams that everybody felt was a can't-miss slam dunk for the postseason, and now you consider that an opportunity. And really for this Colts team, Tony, you and I talked about this before the start of the season. That's all you wanted to see was with this team and their schedule to give themselves an opportunity. Now things have changed. Don't get me wrong. Without Anthony Richardson there, it's not the same because you're not seeing that growth from your rookie quarterback, but you still have fans coming in the building. You still have fans that want to see this team win and to keep it interesting down the stretch and give yourself that opportunity i think that's all we wanted before the start of the season and at the very least right now that's what that's what the colts are doing talking to jmv he is the voice of sports in indiana is there a belief that the the couple weeks we is just exactly what you need to see someone like, we talked about him last week in, in depth or, or earlier this week, Shaquille Leonard, who, who has been a, a non-factor on the defense, is this couple of weeks of being able to stretch out the back and kind of get some rest exactly what he needs to make this second half of the season his and remind people, no, wait, I really do deserve to be here? Man, for somebody that loves Shaquille Leonard, that's what they're probably hoping. But I just I don't think it's there. I think what we have seen, unfortunately, is a product of his injury history right now. And Tony, he's just not the same with that playmaking ability that he showed two years ago. He's just not the same. And then you factor in, you know, defensively, they, they under Gus Bradley just are not as conducive of him making plays. Even if he was the same as he was two years ago, they're not the same as, as they were when Matt Eberflus was the defensive coordinator. Remember, that wasn't a great time either because Matt Eberflus wasn't going to get fired until he got hired as the head coach by the Bears, more than likely. So that wasn't a great time overall for this defense. However, it was a great playmaking time and set the stage for the contract extension and the expectations. And then the injuries came, and then Gus Bradley and his defensive system, which doesn't allow you know Leonard to get out there and just you know, move, maneuver around to try to make plays. And, and now you see what you get in the box score from him is not equating to how much you're going to pay him. So really what we're doing is we're watching the final days of Shaquille Leonard in the Colts uniform here down the stretch. So now play that out. Who else yeah. are we looking at in the final days in a Colts uniform? Oh, that's a good one right there. Um, I, I was thinking the other day, and Mike Chappell, who's covered the Colts forever, did not agree with me, but I, I'd said somebody like Braden Smith. Uh, somebody like Braden Smith, who's missed a lot of time recently, missed four games, uh, then came back. Um, you, know, you got Jake Freeland, who I think had been slotted in at right tackle a couple of different times, obviously, when, when Smith was out and has held his own in there. Uh, so, you know, obviously I'm looking, you know, I got like Briggs Smith and, you know, maybe because of age and we'll see what the latest concussion, but just, you know, Ryan Kelly being able to sustain health, you know, we'll see if maybe that is a position of the off season tone that they, they feel like they can move on from here. So I would say center, maybe right tackle. You know, none of that obviously is set in stone, but if you're just going to ask me, those are the two that I think you would look at. And then when you flip it over, a guy like Kenny Moore, who maybe we thought 
was in his final season here in Indy probably has solidified his spot because his value in the slot defensively is going to, to be here where it's not going to be in a lot of other places. So I think Kenny Moore has solidified himself going into the longer term here, whereas Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly may be a little bit more cloudy. JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, 107.5, the fan out of Indianapolis. Always appreciate you being with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. The gag order has been lifted, and Trump can now say anything he wants, and most probably will. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. The, the gag order, of course, was put on by this judge in the case brought against Trump by the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James. And of course, this is nonsense. Of course, it's a political retribution. The things they're saying about Trump right now, and if he's elected, it's going to be retribution. He's going to go after the Marxist prosecutors. I don't even see how that's retribution. That's policy. You go after the Marxist prosecutors. There is nothing about that that makes me say, oh, how dare he? It makes me say, it's about damn time. Now, calling people vermin, I don't think you should do that. American presidents shouldn't do that. That's, that's, that's my argument. Now, you're like, oh, you're just buying into their narrative. No, I think it's a crap thing to do. I think it's a dumb thing to do. I think it hurts you. I think it's a self-inflicted wound that's not necessary. We already know how you feel about these people. Don't do ridiculously bad, dumb things. This is a recording. Dear God. But the gag order was always wrong because this lawsuit from Letitia James is nonsense. This is political retribution at its very worst, and it's happening now as opposed to two years ago because it is meant to be election interference. It is. We're not going to debate what we know to be true. Of course, this case, of course, the Fannie Willis case in Atlanta, of course, the Jack Smith uh, indictment regarding January 6th, all meant, all of it meant to be election interference and to keep Trump uh, from running or hurt him in running for uh, election uh, in 2024. And as we see from the poll numbers, it's doing a bang-up job. So the judge in this case, Arthur Ngorin, had put a uh, partial gag order on all the parties so they couldn't make derogatory statements about his court staff. Trump had been fined a total of $15,000 because of his statements. The judge actually threatened uh, to put him in prison. And then an appeals judge comes into the scene and says, uh, no, no, because this is unconstitutional. Simply cannot work like this. Sorry, judge. And uh, Trump's statement is his, meaning judge, uh, uh, what's his name? Aragon, Aragorn and, and Gorin. His ridiculous and unconstitutional gag order, not allowing me to defend myself against him and his politically biased and out-of-control Trump-hating clerk who is sinking him and his court to new levels of low, is a disgrace. He's back, baby! But really, this is a conversation about free speech. This is a conversation about whether or not you're innocent until proven guilty and whether or not you have rights. And the people who hate Trump don't believe in these things. And that's why they're so awful. You can hate the man all you want, if you're willing to throw out the Constitution with your hate, what, what good are you? What's the point? What is it that you actually bring to the society? And the answer is nothing. You just degrade it. I'm Tony Katz. This 
is Tony Katz today. I don't know why it is so many people lie about their heritage. I don't know why people feel this need to make up things uh, about themselves. What do they win? What do they get? What's the... Well, they must get a couple things. They get either credibility or they get social acceptance or they get power or they get money. It's it's one of, of, of those things. And I I mean, I could be repeating myself there. We could take this and move it in a bunch of different ways. Rachel Dolezal lied about being black. She did that for power and acceptance and 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 maybe some some deep seated uh questions about about her own existence. We've seen this in a bunch of places. This comes out of Canada. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at Tony Katz. Dot com people are gearing up for Thanksgiving already. I mean, Thanksgiving started before before Halloween, and Halloween uh, started before Independence Day. It, it's crazy how far in advance we start. The woman's name is Buffy Saint Marie. I don't know anything about her except as Fox News describes her, she is one of Canada's most prominent indigenous icons. That's 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 a very 2023 statement right there. She won an Oscar. I didn't know she won an Oscar. She claims to be a Cree Indian born in Canada who was adopted by an American couple and raised near Boston. She's a singer, a songwriter. She has been commemorated on Canadian postage stamps. She's performed for Queen Elizabeth II, the late Queen Elizabeth. And so... An investigation was done into her. Because that, that, of course, if you get to a certain level of fame and somebody is bored enough, there is going to be an inquiry into you. That I mean, that's just, that's like Godwin's Law. As a, as a conversation on the internet continues, the moment of a mention of Hitler approaches one. It's going to happen. It's just a question of when. So the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, known as the CBC, They take a look into public records and interviews, interviewing estranged family members. So this woman is 82. Claims she was born on the Piapot, I think I'm pronouncing that right, First Nation in Saskatchewan. And was adopted as an infant by a white family in Massachusetts. Birth certificate says she was born Beverly Jean Santa Maria. To parents of Italian and English ancestry. Now, let's just at least for a moment recognize that 82 years ago, fudging a birth certificate would not have been the craziest thing in the world. You would have said, well, we don't want our daughter to be seen as this or as that. No, no, let's say this. It'll help her with that. It'll give her that advantage. That didn't happen. That absolutely happened. And it happened all the time. Let's not kid ourselves. So it's possible that a birth certificate from 80 plus years ago would have been fudged. In the same way it's possible that Barack Obama told everybody he was born in Kenya when he was born in Hawaii because Kenya sounded cooler. There's a true story in my family that my parents have told for years about my grandmother, my my late grandmother on my my father's side, my father's mother. 
that when uh, uh, I, was it was it me or was it my brother uh, when we were born? Uh, she told friends that we had blonde hair because it was cuter. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you, 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 you should have met grandma. She was a, she was a piece of work and a half. And for the record, I don't know if the story is hundred percent true. I wouldn't doubt it for a second. Crazy people are crazy. And sometimes they're your relatives. People do all sorts of weirdo things. Doesn't make any sense. But going back to the investigation, uh, the uh, investigation documented contradictory statements that St. Marie, I don't know if it's St. Marie or St. Mary, I don't, I, I, I'm trying to think of how the Canadians might say it. We'll go with St. Marie. I'll, I'll, I'm okay with giving it the very uh, ugly pronunciation if that's what it is. So they looked at statements she made about her indigenous past, articles from early in her career, which she was described as being from different native groups. The daughter believes that St. Marie was indigenous. She wasn't born in Canada. She was, uh, or or believes uh, that the family didn't believe that St. Marie was indigenous, saying, and I'm quoting, she wasn't born in Canada. She's clearly born in the United States. She's clearly not indigenous or Native American. Nobody except for Buffy ever talked about Buffy being adopted. So did she make it up? Well, I'll, I'll leave that to the Canadians to have to figure out, I think in America we've got bigger fish to fry. The story here is things that people say for their opportunity. The things that people will do in order to get a leg up. The things that people will will gravitate towards and try and put forth. I've never figured out how that works. Because I've never figured out how you're going to get anybody to believe it. Now, does that mean if I could get someone to believe it, I would have done it? No. But you've watched this happen. You have watched people, in, uh, even on a, on a smaller scale, move their way up the ranks by just kissing the right amount of butt. And you're like, how? How does everybody not see this? We clearly know this is a fraud. We know that this isn't true. We've got all the data right in front of us. And yet somehow... Somehow they're they're able to see it through. In in the case of uh, 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 Jesse Smollett, Jesse Smollett, he didn't know after the first hour that he was screwed, that the whole thing was a lie, that he was clearly paying the people who attacked him, that the whole thing with the noose and this is MAGA country, that we didn't know that it was a total fraud. But if you were to ask Jesse Smollett today, he's still holding fast and holding firm to this idea. We know that these guys got paid. Schmuck, you wrote a check. You, you were caught. There's the people do make dumb decisions. They get caught. Don't they know that? I've made dumb decisions in my past. I mean, we all have. But you decided to fake an attack on yourself? And you know how often that happens? How many, oh, look, a noose was found at this college. Well, it turns out that the professor, because we had to do something about racism. It's amazing how much no racism exists or how little racism exists that you have to invent it. Jesse Smollett had to invent an attack on himself. Rachel Dolezal really convinced people that she was black? Really? Doesn't Sean King try and do the same thing? 
Doesn't Sean King, uh, social media guy, I forget what rose him to prominence, but like he he thinks he's somebody. He believes he's responsible for hostages being released by Hamas. He actually said those words when the first two hostages were released uh, by, by Hamas. He took credit for him. People were like, you had nothing to do with this. And he's like, oh, I worked so hard on this. He claims to be black and he's not black by every account. And so people refer to him as Talcum X. There's a whole host of uh, nicknames. Hold on, let's see if I can look it up. Nicknames for Sean King. It's unbelievable. Okay, so here they are. Here are the nicknames for Sean King, who claims to be uh, uh, black. Um, and, uh, and and here it is. So there's Talcum X, like Malcolm X, Thurgood Marshall, Thurgood Marshall. Instead of Paul Revere, it's Pale Revere. Um, Alexander Scamilton, so it's Scam, instead of Alexander Hamilton. And instead of O.J. Simpson, Simpson it's Snow J. Simpson. That is, that is amazing. Amazing. He's been accused about lying about his racial identity and, of course, moving money around and scamming people. There's a lot of accusations out there that I'll leave it to others to, to, to read. Why do people do this? Well, they do it for power. They do it for opportunity. Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, is not Native American. She lied. And everybody knows it so she could get social advancement, so she could get preferential treatment, so she could be special. Being special to people is more important than being happy. Being special does not necessarily mean that you're happy. And happiness comes from within. It comes from this idea of accepting who you are and then accepting how you can make it better. One of the weirdest commentaries in the world is this idea that, you know, you're fine just the way you are and if people don't accept you, uh, that's their problem. Well, what if who you are is a total jerk? Just a giant something hole. What, what, if, what if your personality is awful and what if you want to change it? Well, no, no, no. You're, you're fine. No, everybody else has to change for you. That's what societally we tell people. And then they're this, this way. And it's not working for them. And they don't know that they're allowed to change. They don't know that they're allowed to grow. They don't know that they're allowed to get better. They don't know that they're allowed to build upon themselves and create a better life. We take women who are overweight and like, oh, you're such a hero. You're such an icon. You're so brave. You're such a role model. They lose weight and all of a sudden it's how dare you? How dare you be a traitor? What are you talking about? Why? Why can't somebody lose weight? It's good for them. It's healthier. Now that now they're a traitor? It's a it's a madness. People want you to fit their need to not do anything to better their own life. And then when they feel that they have to make a change because they're not special enough, they have to either a invent a lie to try and make them seem more interesting. Or they have to build upon a trauma. There is an author whose name eludes me, and I'm, I'm never remembering her name. But she wrote this book. It was, I think it was a fiction book. And one of the characters is talking about how uh, in this generation, everybody's got a trauma. And everybody's you know, talking about their trauma. And the trauma is most, the most interesting thing about them. 
And so the line is, if your trauma is the most interesting thing about you, how do you overcome it? And in that line and in this story about this woman in Canada and in this story about Elizabeth Warren and in this story about Sean King and in this story about Rachel Dolezal, you realize that that is maybe to the core of the problems that we see in in society. We do not take a look at trauma or issues as something to overcome and then get on with our lives. That's not the value. That does not provide you personal glory. That does not give you satisfaction. It does not give you credibility. It does not give you social promotion. That's a waste. Instead, the trauma, the specialness, is the thing to exploit so people will love you more, so you then have value. So the thing that gives you value is either something you're lying about or something horrible that happened to you. How could anybody be happy in that situation? How could one find joy in that situation? How could someone have a satisfied soul in that conversation? And my argument is you can't. But societally, this is what we're told to glorify. And so they do. This, this story about this singer in Canada, whatever, whatever you decide, Canadians, whatever you decide to do with this, feel free. Not the story. The story is, is that this is part of, in today's culture, a near everyday occurrence. Not the story of a scam artist here or a scam artist there. But it's the story of so many people who aren't there. It's not even that they're making cash. They're getting five more followers on social media. They're able to say it to this group of friends and everyone says, oh, how brave. And for a moment, they feel like something. Heck, maybe they feel something other than the emptiness. I'm telling you that this is an example of a horror show that is playing out on college campuses and in boardrooms all across America. And yes, I said boardrooms. Why would I think it's only in certain levels? I think this is taking place everywhere. It is horrific. It's, 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 it's not just evil. In, in terms of like evil is something you perpetrate on somebody else. What, is, what do you call it when you do it to yourself? This horror that you bring upon yourself, this hate that you bring upon yourself, and maybe very uh, possibly this evil that you bring upon yourself. Your trauma does not have to be the most interesting thing about you. It might be a part of your life that you have overcome to then get to a place of happiness, which is difficult. It's extremely difficult to find a place of happiness. But isn't this the thing that we should be Helping people get to, sharing that that should be the goal, whatever that may be, and th- that that journey matters. Not inventing some some story to make yourself seem special or exploiting some trauma so people will somehow like you. I think this is at the 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 the, the crux of things. I think that this this idea of the trauma and making that important and and taking the the horrible making that important as opposed to overcoming it is the is the basis 
of 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 the, of the issues. And, and and I think there's a word for that. It's eluding me uh, right now. Um, but I'm gonna ex- I'm gonna explore this theory more. Let me know if you think I'm on to something. Uh, Twitter X at Tony Katz or Tony at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz today. The polling dictates that Trump is ahead by so much it is insane. But as we've discussed, I'm waiting to see Iowa. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And I think that some of the leaders in Iowa are now in the place to try and make their their voice heard. I don't know if it's going to work. So when Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, endorses Ron DeSantis, I didn't see a big jump in Iowa for Ron DeSantis. I didn't I didn't see it. And it's not that Kim Reynolds isn't popular in Iowa. I, I think the, the people of Iowa like her just fine. But you didn't see some massive level of movement. Start paying attention to a guy by the name of Bob Vanderplatz. V-A-N-D-E-R, second word, P-L-A-A-T-S. He's the president and CEO of the Family Leader, which is a social conservative group. Very, very influential. And you want his endorsement. Now, how you get his endorsement might involve a whole series of things. I don't know uh, what kind of relationship, financial otherwise, is ever created. But could he jump in, also endorse DeSantis, and all of a sudden there's a shift? Will he endorse Haley? DeSantis, Haley, and Ramaswamy are speaking at an event he's doing over the weekend. We'll see who really pushes for this thing. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Keep an eye on that. Monday, everyone. Take care. Take care.